0: With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo, 5-0. mojo 5-0. Five O. Mojo
1: We will make America great again. Back. Sam Sorbo. Hi, welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm joined by a favorite guest of mine. Larry Taunton, he's the executive director of the Fixed Point Foundation. He's also a freelance columnist. He has a a few pieces out on The Daily Wire, most recently regarding the situation in Ukraine. He's the author of The Grace Effect, the Gospel Coalition Book of the Year, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, and the just-released book, Around the World in More Than 80 Days. Uh, But he's been to Russia and to Ukraine many times. And he and his wife adopted a daughter from a Ukrainian orphanage. And so Larry reached out to me to talk about the situation in the Ukrainian orphanages and how Russia is behaving, particularly because uh, he's he's quite incensed at the at the way that we are approaching Ukrainian orphanages. So, Larry, welcome to the show.
0: How are you, Sam?
1: Yeah, it's good to see you. And I, I really wanted to give you a platform to explain this because um, there's this narrative out right now that it's poor Ukraine and bad, evil Russia. And I've seen this now a couple of times in different places on the Internet. Uh, and, and I've been part of it. I, I have to say this idea that, listen, you've lied to me for two years about a pandemic that there's no pandemic in Florida, okay? I live here. There's no real pandemic here. So we've been lied to for two years. Now they're telling us, hey, focus all your attention on Ukraine. And I feel like it's kind of a shell game with the American public, with the world public, basically. And, and you specifically pointed out these, these orphanages that are, that are supposedly under attack, right? So let's just start there and you can walk us through that. But I do want to sort of touch on the idea. You've got a lot of history. I mean, you studied Russian history and Russian literature. And so I want to talk about the this this ongoing conflict between Ukraine and Russia and the relationship there and what we might just be missing with the reports that we're getting over here.
0: Thank you, Sam. Uh, it's always a, always a pleasure to be with you um, well, first of all, let's state out of the gate what you and I believe, what what uh, I think every sensible conservative believes, and that is uh, our genuine sympathies are with the the common Ukrainian people, you know who are suffering terribly um, in this war. Um, however, anytime you try to push back, however mildly, at the um, the idea that all things Ukrainian um, are great and wonderful and that Ukraine is a beacon of, um, of freedom and democracy and that all things Russian um, are uh, necessarily evil. Uh, You're immediately, you know, um, you know, lambasted, you're you're called, uh, you know, a Putin supporter, a Nazi, a fascist, you know, whatever. These kinds of things immediately come out. And, um, you know, it's been interesting for me, Sam, because I've been watching a guy on Twitter, a former congressman by the name of Joe Walsh, not, by the way, to be confused with the um, the Eagles guitarist named joe walsh um this guy doesn't have anywhere near that level of talent uh but he's just a guy who's just throwing red meat out there to um to progressives or to um to people who are you know who are his followers and uh, interestingly enough i was engaging him on twitter about some of these things just simply asking him have you what do you know about ukraine have you, you ever been to russia you ever you ever been to ukraine do you know anything about what you're talking about and uh, in fact, he was claiming a couple of days ago on Twitter. And again, I mean, this is a guy who probably has a, you know, half a million followers, you know, or something, uh, who is claiming that millions, quote, millions of Ukrainians were dying in this war. And I was just kind of like, Joe, I mean, do you realize that, you know, 9 million people died in, in World War I, roughly 55 million people died in World War II, but you're already claiming that within a month. We have millions, millions of Ukrainian um, casualties. And the guy has to know that he's lying and he's trying to manipulate, um, you know, um, anybody who would read him on Twitter. Well, this is the kind of thing that's happening in our media in a, in a, in a very big way. Let me be very clear. Ukraine is a horrible country. Russia is a horrible country. And by that, I mean, they're neither of them are democratic. And in fact, uh, democracy and freedom, as it is understood in the West, are both alien to these countries, utterly alien to these countries. And they are both deeply, deeply corrupt political cultures. And uh, what really caught my attention, Sam, was, uh, you know, our daughter, uh, who we adopted in 2009 from a Ukrainian orphanage. I've been to Ukraine many times, no less than seven times. I've been in Russia, um, you know, probably uh, uh, near that, that number. And um, in order to adopt our daughter, Sasha, we had to bribe every single Ukrainian official we encountered, save one. In order to do what anyone with a modicum of decency would have wanted to do for free, that is to say, get Sasha a home.
1: And, and uh, just to clarify, that's what they did. Yeah, oftentimes, really what you're bribing them for is for them to sign a paper.
0: Exactly. Yeah, or to put a stamp on it. Yeah, you know they're all about stamps. You almost nothing is digitized, so we're all about these stamps. And in order, so you,
1: so you, with our with our Western sensibility and our charity, uh, you're sitting there going, why Why wouldn't they just stamp it? Like, what's keeping them from stamping it? And then all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off, and you're going, Oh, they're just waiting for money. Exactly. Okay, well, if that's what it takes, okay, we'll give him the money, and then he'll stamp the thing. And it 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 goes beyond like we just think that people should behave nicely, Mm -hmm. but that's not how it works outside of our little bubble of this this free society that we've created in the United States. And I think that a lot of people who don't travel, perhaps or perhaps just haven't been educated, don't understand how special it is that we have this thing that I call um, inherit. We've inherited our um, uh, our morality. We've inherited it and we're spending our inheritance rapidly and we're not replenishing it. In other words, we're not working on morality to reinvigorate, to reinsert it into our communities, into our culture. So we're just spending this moral capital and we are going in the way of Ukraine and Russia and, and the rest of the world in, in those terms, because All you needed to do was pay these people off. But that's not the way the world is. That's not the beautiful way that the world can work. They're depriving themselves of something.
0: You've opened a big can of worms here and uh, and an important one. Uh, My book, The Grace Effect, which was my first book, is telling the story of Sasha's adoption. But I'm, I'm telling the story against the broader background of what socialism is and how Ukraine and Russia are still running off of um, old Soviet ideas and what that looks like and what a society looks like when you have drained it of a Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, you talk about naive Americans. You're, you're so right. I was speaking to I'm, I'm in Columbia, South America right now. And I was speaking with a woman yesterday who um, I could just tell by looking at her. She'd just gotten off of a plane. From D.C., she was very pleasant. She was likable. She was an American, and I said, "Look, be careful. Everything about you says I'm an American. I've seen you leave your, you know, your purse on the table a couple of times while you went up to the bar, and this kind of thing. This isn't the United States anymore any that you're in. You're you're accustomed to living in a nice neighborhood, and where." Um, you know, private property is respected. It's sacred, generally speaking. I mean, unless they're talking about Black Lives Matter antifas, generally speaking, you know, sacred in the United States. You're not there anymore. And you're making the assumption that everyone here holds your values and they don't. So I want you to be very careful. And she started asking me a few questions. And I said, look, I don't want to frighten you, but don't get into um, the taxis here alone. A woman should never ride in the taxi's by herself. Uh, And anyway, I I see this kind of thing a lot traveling uh, as as much as I do.
1: The things that we take for granted, because we have a a social contract contract in the United States that was that was put in place by our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence by our founding documents. And that social contract is we respect each other's humanity. We we respect them as human beings. We're we're slowly losing that. But but when when you travel abroad, you're often struck by the fact that they they don't have that to begin with. And then and then Larry, we think that we can just go over there and flip a switch and and install democracy as if they really understand what that is. But democracy is founded on life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And by democracy, of course I mean representational republic uh, i I try not to conflate those two um, but but the idea that the individual is sovereign, the individual has a sovereign a sovereignty and a um and 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 a uh what's the word I'm looking for um that they have value as yes. a human being and and the way we term it as a created human being right and they they don't necessarily have that in other countries, and that's what you're just pointing out to this gal you're going you know. Just be careful yeah. because they don't look at you as a sovereign individual who has value. They look at you potentially just as a pocketbook to rob or something else.
0: Well, you know, case in point, um, Zelensky and um, the, um, the Ukrainian media machine, which is substantial and aided by the West, ran this narrative about how Putin was targeting with missile strikes, um, Ukrainian orphanages. Now, first of all, I don't believe that for a second, uh, not because Putin cares anything about um, orphans, because he doesn't care about Ukrainian orphans or Russian orphans, uh, but it's of no strategic value um, for him to do that. But to hear the the, the Ukrainian narrative, we love our, our orphans and look at how they're treated and Help us because of what they're doing to our orphans. And I felt enraged because I thought you're the people that when we entered into that orphanage, we discovered the children are, um, you know, they're beaten, sexually molested. Sometimes Sam rented out to perverts, children. Um, go it's missing. Called
1: human tra- it's called human trafficking
0: and yes. we ought
1: to acknowledge that Ukraine is a center of human trafficking on Big the face time. of the earth.
0: Big time. And uh, I've already mentioned the bribes, but Sam, you know, at the orphanage where Sasha was, we're only, you know, just a few miles from the, the coast in Odessa uh Derybasovskaya Street, a very uh exclusive neighborhood, supercars going up and down the road, these these yachts that, you know, 10 million wouldn't really even get you a down payment on. And here they were in these orphanages where our our Sasha, who is now our daughter, um, these children were not given toilet paper. I mean, toilet paper. I took pictures of the bathrooms, which are just holes in the ground. And uh, Lori, being a sensible woman like you, she, uh, when when Sasha, during the process of adopting her, she was allowed to come to our apartment some days. And then she had to be returned to the orphanage at night. And she was wearing the same clothes, smelly clothes, dirty clothes every day. Lori takes her out, buys her brand new clothes. You know, nice, one of those soft, you know, uh, what do you call them? Those fleece pullovers and, you know, just some comfortable, nice clothing. Well, our adoption facilitator, who's a Ukrainian, said to us uh, and who knows the adoption process very well. He says, don't let her wear those clothes back to the orphanage. Well, why not? Well, because the directors will steal them and they'll give them to their um, own children or they'll sell them. So every day she would come. Lori would take Sasha's clothes and um, put them, you know, launder them. She would put the new clothes on her. She would stay with us all day long. And then um, towards evening, we would take the new clothes off and put the old clothes back on, which had now been laundered, and send her back to the orphanage. This process was repeated every day um and so now to hear you know how much they love their and no you're not a country who loves your orphans you don't care about your orphans you don't care about them at all and the russians don't care about them either so people need to be paying close attention to the uh to the propaganda war as right. much as the war itself
1: right it is it is a i mean everything now is a propaganda war and yes. the good news larry is we're seeing it more and more we're 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 we are internalizing the lesson. We are understanding it more. That uh, perception is everything, and so the the way that people manipulate your perception of facts mm-hmm. is everything. And we're paying closer attention, which is um, which is a good thing uh, for sure. And it's a sad thing because it makes us cynical. And so when I hear a story about orphanages, you reach out and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that because because we have to pay attention. They're playing a game with uh, the messaging. We need to take a quick break. And um, and then I'm going to come back and ask you about m- more of the history between Russia and Ukraine and maybe get a better picture of. Uh, sort of what's at play, what's at stake right now. Uh, This is the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm talking with Larry Taunton. He's the executive director of the Fixed Point Foundation, and he's written several books, um, one of which The Grace Effect talks about uh, the orphanages over in Ukraine, which is what we spent the first half of this um, talk discussing but also he's written a book uh, called The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, which is a favorite of mine. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a fascinating book and a fascinating look at one of the world's uh, most well-known atheists. Uh, you, you, you humanize him, you personalize him in a way that uh, I think I think very few people would have had the opportunity to do. You, you, you had the opportunity to get to know him very well um but we've been talking about russia and ukraine and and you're you're sort of a russian expert i suppose um a russian historian so i i want to get a better sense of kind of the, the macro vision of what this is now i've heard other russian experts and i put i always put expert now in in quotes and well quotes. you should <laughs> <laughs> talking about how Putin just wants to basically reconstitute the, the Soviet Union uh, or the glory days of the Russian Empire. Um, and in that way, he feels entitled to Ukraine and he wants Ukraine. And then I've also heard, uh, I don't know if you saw, Oliver Stone did a little documentary.
0: I didn't see it, but I've seen it's been banned. Yeah.
1: And he, it's fascinating because, okay, there, there are two takeaways from that. He goes through the whole documentary and he basically positions it as Russia is just serving the needs of the of the Russian or pro-Russian Ukrainian community by sort of protecting their interests, and uh, Putin's actually not such a bad guy after all. But also that uh, Putin is against the the. Um, what is it the world economic forum and the other thing that he that he that he tries to point out is that the fascists are opposing putin and it's fascinating because he thinks the fascists are right wing but fascism is not right wing and so he finds himself in very strange territory because even because he's even indicting, he's, he's indicting Republicans who, you know, are quote unquote the fascists, but he's also having to indict Obama and Biden and, uh, Pelosi and, and the leftists as well. And so he's kind of a, a man with no country right now. He's sort of, uh, in a no man's land through this documentary from, from what I can tell. And I, I don't know exactly because he does leave it a little bit open, open ended. But I know documentary filmmaking and you pick and choose what you what you want to present. And the way he presents it is the fascists and the leftists are in cahoots, which doesn't surprise me. It surprises him. (laughs) It doesn't surprise me to take over the world in a sense. And we shouldn't. I think his position is we have no business in getting basically in getting involved in that. If not, if we're not going to kind of support Russia.
0: Wow. Um, Yes, there's a lot to unpack there. I can't help but be somewhat amused that Oliver Stone, who is, of course, you know, the poster child for leftism, you know, forever is, you know, is now, you know, he's now not radical enough. And so he's booted off of YouTube (laughs) with uh, with his film. I mean, you know, there's an old saying, revolutions, you know, eat their children. And uh, and this is uh, this is, of course, um, what's uh, what's happened in that case.
1: Well, by Um, the way, the the reason that there's a saying that revolutions eat their children and uh, America is a notable exception to that. Uh, Yes. The revolution eats its children because the revolution typically comes from the left and communists eat their children.
0: Well, you know, in a in a very big way, the French Revolution, it was true of I mean, you know, you you know uh Robespierre was was himself sent to the guilli- uh, guillotine so um you know uh the old Soviets the old Bolsheviks you know under Lenin and Stalin were eventually executed you know on uh, mass you know so many of them and the American Revolution really is you know is one um, well known historian, but it really wasn't a revolution it was a civil war and uh, there's a, oh, well there's said. a- there's a real difference, uh, real difference between those two, because revolutions, by definition, seek to overthrow the past in toto, to annihilate it and create something utterly new um, in its place. And the American Revolution, as Edmund Burke, you know, the uh, you know, the, the father of modern conservatism, he was a member of parliament uh, at the time. He said, look, the the Americans are just tweaking the existing uh, uh, British form of government—they're not annihilating the past; they're um, they're modifying an existing form of government. Their um, their laws, their traditions, are ours. They're, they're the basis of their laws: English common law. So, uh, yeah, some big differences there with Ukraine and Russia. This is a very convoluted past, and um, a way to to give you some sense of. Uh, the complexity of the problem, Uh, we know immediately when I tell you that the first Russian state was not founded in modern-day Russia. It was founded in the 800s in Kyiv. It was called Kievan Rus. And uh, Rus was was founded in what is modern-day Ukraine. And so the two countries have been kind of welded together on and off throughout their histories. Uh, this isn't like, say, Hitler invading Poland. Um, you know, Catherine the Great referred to Ukraine as little Russia. Um, Peter the Great, who preceded her, you know, believed that Ukraine was vital to Russia's existence. This continued all the way down uh, into our own time. And so when you hear people who are saying, well, you um, You know, uh, if it's all about NATO, why did uh, did Putin not invade, um, you know, uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, all border buffer states that became members of NATO? And I say you need to understand you those countries aren't Ukraine. And even at a basic level of understanding Russian Ukrainian history, you have to understand that Russia has historically always deemed Ukraine is absolutely vital to its security and to its survival. Uh, words and terms like, um, you know, breadbasket and warm water port, you know, appear all the time in, uh, in Russia's history. Furthermore, you, you have to understand that some of the key figures in Russian history were themselves Ukrainians. Leon Trotsky was a Ukrainian uh, Leonid, Leonid Brezhnev was a Ukrainian he would have deemed what's happening now among the Ukrainians as, as, um, uh, as, as treasonous uh, Nikita Khrushchev. In what way?
1: Sorry, explain that. What's treasonous about what's happening among well, the Ukrainians? Well,
0: because he believed in the Soviet Union. He believed that Ukraine should belong um, to the Soviet. Oh,
1: Empire. so the fact that that Ukraine uh, established independence from Russia was was the big mistake.
0: Would be would be seen. In other words, there are plenty of Ukrainians who would take the view. At last last poll, I think it was sixteen percent. Of Ukrainians um, want to rejoin, you know, the old Soviet Union. So, you know, there's a lot of Russia speakers um, in Ukraine, um, ethnic Russians. Uh, this is ha- highly problematic. It's like trying to, and this maybe this this even doesn't really work, but it's it's something more like trying to disentangle England and Wales or England and Scotland. Um, it's uh, it's it's a much much harder harder thing. And uh, also, given the fact that their their political cultures that they share are very similar, they're both corrupt, and um, uh, they're both mafia-like governments. Now, and don't so, forget that
1: Ukraine was targeted by Stalin and
0: starved. Absolutely, and the uh, uh, it, what happened that, that happened in 1932. This was a state-engineered famine. More than a million died. I've actually already published a piece about that as well called A Famine of Truth. Uh, Interestingly enough, um, to show you how the Potemkin village and and, uh, propaganda works, Stalin invited um, George Bernard Shaw uh, in 1931. He invited him to come to Russia and see how great it was. George Bernard Shaw, the only man to be given both an Academy Award and a Nobel Prize for Literature. In my opinion, he didn't deserve it either. Uh, he was a hardcore communist, but he was invited to Russia um, to see what was going on. And he came back declaring it. Oh, this is the nearest to what society would look like if Jesus came down and, and, and created a society. Well, you mentioned, com-
1: you mentioned Potemkin Village. So just explain briefly what that is.
0: Ah, yeah, uh, my apologies. Potemkin Village, the Russians are very, very good at this. Uh, Ukrainians, too. It's where we say, Sam Sorbo, we want you to come and see. You know, Larry has alleged that the orphanages are terrible. Come and see the orphanages. And so what they do is they take you to an orphanage where they've given that, that they've moved the children into new facilities. They've bathed them all, give them all new clothing, Um, fattened them up a bit um, with some food and then they march you through it. You say, well, Larry clearly is a liar. Look at this. This is a model of what an orphanage should be. And the moment you leave, the clothes are taken from the children. The children are loaded up on a truck and sent back to where they came from. Uh, It's a it's a Hollywood set. It's a fake. Yeah. Uh, This is a Potemkin village. Well, interestingly enough, another man, went to Russia at the same time in the 1930s, who was also a communist. And that man's name was Malcolm Muggeridge. But Muggeridge kept hearing rumors of a, um, um, a famine in Ukraine. And so he managed to escape from his KGB handlers, who, who always made sure he stayed within the Potemkin village. And he went to Ukraine where he saw the famine, where he saw that millions were dying, where he saw cannibalism, and he began writing about it. And um, just as a side note, uh, Muggeridge became a Christian as a result of that experience. But Muggeridge was condemned as a liar. You know, uh, Western newspapers didn't want to publish what he was saying because they're saying, you're making all this up. And a writer for Guess Whom? The New York Times, a man by the name of Walter Durante, who was carrying the propaganda water for Stalin, was given a Pulitzer Prize that to this day has not been revoked.
1: Right. And by the way, just to just to put a, a bow on some of this to 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 add injury to insult, to add insult to injury. Uh, the the thing that really got me about the famine in Ukraine is they posted signs, "Please don't eat your children," mm. and the U- and the Ukrainian famine was designed by Stalin. It was perpetrated against the Ukrainian people, and so for that reason, I I don't have very much sympathy for for Russia coming into Ukraine, but I also Don't have very much sympathy for Zelensky and for them trying to position Ukraine as this terrible uh, as this poor victim, um, because you the because I know how much corruption is over there. There's a reason that our politicians offspring are heavily, deeply involved in Ukraine. There's there is a reason for that. It's because of the corruption that's over there.
0: Are you bringing uh, up Hunter Biden?
1: I I wasn't mentioning him by name, but I was but I can because it's very clear. Uh, but it's not just Biden. It's Romney. It's um, I believe it's Pelosi. Uh, I can't remember. I saw I saw a list recently. Um, so it, it, it's a lot. There's a lot of. Stuff in Ukraine, and, and so there is a lot of. Uh, and by the way, we send a lot of money to Ukraine. That's why there's so much corruption. <laughs> If you fund it, it will get bigger. <laughs> yeah, so, with American
0: with American money. You know, we were just talking about revolutions. Our, their our own time chamber. is
1: our time is yep. running out. Um, I'm so sorry, but uh, we're, we're going to have to end Enjoy it there. It. Okay, so where can people find you?
0: Find me at Larry Alex Taunton T A U N T O N LarryAlexTaunton dot It's been great to be with you, Sam.
1: Thanks for coming on the show. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm joined now by Abigail Martinez. She's a California mother who recently lost her daughter to the transgender movement. I say that because her daughter was in school, was basically coerced uh, by a transgender club, um, was it highly influenced by the individuals in the club to declare herself to be a boy to then transition into being a man, uh, and, uh, and eventually she took her own life. And this California mom is speaking out. It's been, I think it's been about two and a half years since her daughter committed suicide, and she finally said, I, c- I can't be silent anymore. People need to know this story. And she's hoping that her, by telling her story, she will um, enlighten some other parents. Uh, she feels that that uh, well, I'll let her put it in her own words. Abigail Martinez, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you, thank you for inviting me.
1: So, yes. sorry. So, your daughter, uh, your daughter began transitioning basically so- soon after she started high school. Correct? That is correct. Yeah, and they have transgender sort of clubs on on campuses across the United States now, but certainly in your daughter's high school. But she didn't tell you about it, did she? No, no. So. Uh, Go ahead.
2: Yeah, she didn't tell me that she was going and meeting with these other kids. I find out through my uh, other daughter.
1: Yeah. How many other how many other children do you have?
2: Four three girls and a boy
1: you have four children so so are they older or younger than abigail was
2: uh then yalee um i'm sorry Yeti. is the middle one and my youngest son he's who is 19 at the moment so um yeah he's the youngest she's the middle one and i have the oldest uh um, the two middle ones, the sisters, they are 17 months apart. So they were a year apart in high school.
1: Gotcha. So talk to me about what precipitated her declaring herself to be transitioning.
2: Well, there was a lot of facts. The school, the CPS, because it was it, CPS got involved, LGBT. And the club that she was, uh, you know, at the, at the school where she was meeting, she met. But let's,
1: let's walk back just a bit before then, because she had just started high school. Is that is that right?
2: Yes, it was uh, like the middle of freshman year when she's starting to, you know, changing and, you know, acting. Uh, she was going in through depression when she after she turned 13.
1: When she turned so, 13, she started having sort of bouts of depression or just being depressed. Yes: Yes. And 13, so which, so she started high school when she was how old? Uh, uh,
2: she was fourteen. she's April girl. so okay. uh, Yes.
1: So after the depression, she started going to high school. High school is arguably a difficult transition for young people. There's a lot of anxiety associated with going to high school. Did she, did you notice any of that for her as well?
2: Yes, she was very, you know, anxious. Uh, you know, it's uh, the school that they went to. is a pretty big school and they have like over 4,000 kids. Wow. So it's a big school. So for them, you know, coming from small school, private school, and then going to to a uh, public school, I think it was a big change.
1: And when she when did you notice any kind of shift in her after she started attending high school? Like yeah, there was, it was that was the- sort of more immediate because the club came a little bit further in, right?
2: Yes, and it was. She was going into social media and she's that you know talking with this kid who have, uh, you know, they talk about, you know, how depressed they are, uh, cutting themselves, and apparently she was helping them not to do it.
1: When oh, I find out, I she had started in social media as kind of a. a- counseling help kids them. trying to help, help them. them
2: yes and she did and she did she did help a lot of kids uh but i uh, i you know i suggest her not to do it because she was so young to you know to hold all these uh kids problems. so you can suggest to um go to a counselor. uh but you're not prepared for that. And you say, Mom, you know that I—that's I, uh, my thing, helping others. And yes, but you're young. Your brain is not prepared for that. So she, my kids, when they turn 13, I, you know, they all get a cell phone so they can communicate. Anything happen, they can call me. Um, she couldn't keep her cell phone for that long. I took it away. Because she was, uh, I saw that she was, you know, just on the phone, just talking to these people, looking how they cut themselves. And I thought it was not a good idea. I thought it was not healthy for her. She was so young and she had a big heart. And of course it was going to affect her. So uh, I did, but she managed how to still get in line, you know, and the computer, so... No matter what I did, she she was determined to help others. And then she started to cut herself.
1: And, and then she what, started to cut herself. Yes,
2: yes, her arms. Yes.
1: And did you know that she was at the hiding. time
2: uh, at the beginning? She was hiding it. Uh, you know, she always. Uh, I was and She said, "Jaylee, uh, it's gonna be hard today. Oh no, I'm comfortable with sweaters." So until I saw her and I say what's going on, and that's when I start, you know, seeking for help.
1: Okay, so what did you do then? So, so that's between freshman and sophomore. Uh, no, between no, yeah, fra- it
2: was uh, middle school.
1: Yeah. Oh, it was still in middle school that she started middle to cut herself.
2: She to cut herself, yes.
1: Wow. Yeah. It was it, middle school. So young. Very,
2: very young,
1: and, and she found support for that behavior online, I'm sure
2: oh, yes, and you know, and you know, I think she felt like I told her you know if you're talking with all these kids that are going in through this you know depression and cutting themselves or trying to find a way how to that's not healthy. You can't be talking and and yes, yeah, sure f- enough uh. She then she started to pat herself first. You know, she was helping them.
1: Did you feel Uh, at that point, did you feel like you were losing communication with her or losing a a losing a tether?
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Because she she was like, oh, I'm not going to let my mom see what's going on. And when I took her phone away, it was like uh um She got like, Oh no. And she finds her way. She bought an iPad uh,
1: through a friend
2: in school with her own money. Wow. So, so
1: so at that point, you must've felt somewhat helpless.
2: Yes, I did. You tried
1: to get her counseling and then she went to high school.
2: Yes. Before she started going to high school, I, I, I talked to the schools, you know. I thought they will help, so to keep an eye on her. Um, they and then I seek for help outside, going to counsel, and she was going. But um, once she was trying to overdose, that's when CPS came into the house, and that's when I they took control of everything. They
1: took control, and the oh, yeah. the, the counselor who had been talking to her, do you, do, you, do you still respect the counselor that you found? Uh, do you respect their efforts before she tried to commit suicide the first time?
2: No, because I find out that they were, you know, they find out, because they told you, no, only if they've been abused at home, they're going to report by other, what they talk, they're not going to communicate to us. It's like they keep it, like
1: between right. Them. So th- the counselor was keeping things from you, and yes. now you suspect that the counselor was actually not helpful to the daughter at all.
2: Not helpful. No, she was supporting the, because my daughter, after you know, when she went into high school, is when she starting to you know see these other people and talking about you know. The more I thought, I find out that they learned a lot in these groups, like uh oh you're in the wrong body that's what happened that's why you're depressed. do you feel like you're a boy and of course, you know at this age they oh maybe huh so that's how everything uh started so I didn't uh, they the counselor that I found uh she was like supporting. Yes, you allow your entire. I um, talked to, and I went to counsel with her too. So she was like, you know, uh, you should let uh, your daughter be herself and express how she feels. And then that's when I got like, okay, where are we going in here? So uh, she was telling. That's why she told. She was telling me that she wants to have. Uh, you know, a haircut because she used to have, a you know, They, all of them uh, long hair. So let her, you know, just express how she feels. That's, you know, healthy. That's normal. And I said, yeah, but where are we going to get with this? Uh, yes, I allow her to do this and that. And, you know, I think this is deeper than what she feels like she needs in the outside changing looks and that's not going to help.
1: So, and, and yet at the same time, they're saying to you, my gosh, it's just a haircut. Just let her get her haircut. Like, what's the big deal? Yes, but at the same time... Hair.
2: Yeah, let her dye her hair. Let it, and, and you know, and I did. And I right. said, and, and I promise you that it's not going to work. Sure enough, she was not happy. She was not happy with the uh, Short, uh, you know, she dye her hair. And I was like the mom that, oh, she's, oh, she doesn't want to hurt. No, it was not that. I was more focused on her mental illness than any, than, you know, clothes or look or, no. I knew that something, you know, was bothering her. Right. And uh, I want them to help me find out what what it was.
1: I'm talking with Abigail Martinez. She's the mother of a young uh, woman who was transgendering, uh, so-called transgendering, and eventually ended up committing suicide. Who has now decided? The mother has now decided to come forward and speak about this. She did a press conference at the Heritage Center, which uh, was or the Heritage Foundation, which which was stunning, uh, and uh, tr- and it's a tragic story. And I'm so glad. Abigail, that you've decided to tell your story so that other parents might be able to, uh, to figure out how to, how to navigate these waters. Um, so, so the, you've discovered, in a sense, after the fact, that the counselor you hired to help your daughter manage the, the change, and, and basically, you know, I think a lot of this stems from just the change, just the puberty. And going through changes, your body's changing you're uncomfortable young women have uh, typically have a have a very big sense of insecurity um, and and a sense of not belonging and they want to belong and so she was in a sense she was seduced by the transgender community in her school, the club um, but but you feel that you were absolutely betrayed by the people who we, our tax dollars pay to care for children. Is that right? That is correct.
2: That is correct because I feel that they, you know, they need to communicate with the parents what's going on with your child. And they've gotten,
1: they've gotten to the point now where they feel they don't have to communicate because the parents are not important. They're important.
2: That's how they see it. But that's, you know, that's not how it is. We are important in their life. We are the parents. Yes. They go to school there. And I feel like it's like, you know, the second home where you think that they're going to be safe there. Right getting prepared for life and uh but you never expect i never expect this ever
1: ever and uh, so cps came in basically right after your daughter uh tried to commit suicide by popping pills yes and how did they because i know that eventually they maneuvered her out of your home so how did that all come about
2: Well, it happened with a peer at at school, you know, another older uh, transient uh, girl. Uh, She was going into that transition of changing name and and she was older than my dad.
1: Right. But so so I I, we identified she was, in a sense, the 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 seducer. But how did CPS they got involved because your daughter committed suicide? But then there was a court a court hearing. Yes. So um, how soon after the first suicide attempt did they take her out of your home?
2: Oh, she stayed with me for a while. You know, she ended the school year, uh, the, the, you know, the freshman year. Um, it was by summertime, uh, just close to going into 10th uh, 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 grade. That's when and, uh, she, this this parent with her daughter uh, came to my house and kidnapped my daughter because I didn't give her permission to go with them. That's how they, you know, even the police, uh, I want to make a report against them. Uh, they said, no, uh, we can't uh, do anything. You do that or what, you know. Yeah, but she's a minor. And she didn't have my permission. They kept my daughter for two days. And we were looking and searching. And that's how everything uh, started. This family was coaching outside the school, too. My daughter had what to do, uh, what to say, so she, she can stay out of the house. Because I was the, remember, I've been the, the, the bad mom who didn't support that and didn't accept my daughter.
1: So there was a transgender girl in the high school whose mother and she came, picked up your daughter and then had her for two days and basically coached her on, on how to behave and what to say.
2: Yes. And they, what they did, uh, because the police and everyone, I was, um, with friends, you know, posting flyers at the stores everywhere. We, I, 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 I went through a lot with that. And they knew that we were looking for them and they never, you know, had the 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 heart to say, oh, this mother is going nuts with, you know, and we have her. No, she, I called, you know, several friends, you know, the from this other uh, girl. So they all denied, oh, let me see, let me check and nothing happened. So they didn't call back. When they didn't call me back, I thought they had my daughter. So I report that to the police to check, you know, and they said, well, we're going to wait. So they dropped her off. I can't remember for sure. It was. Um, did you use the Monday? word kidnapping? Yes, I did. Because yeah. that's how and the I, police
1: refused. Why did the police refuse to basically they refused to get involved?
2: Yes, they did. They Why? refused to get involved. That I don't know. Maybe they have friends at the the police station, Arcadia police station. Uh, they have.
1: I but don't know, let's pro- fast forward just a bit. Um, I don't want to run out of time. You, you, there was a court case. There was a court hearing for basically for custody of your daughter, and you tried to get representation. Yes. I and did. How, and how did that go?
2: Didn't work. Nobody. When they. I'm sorry. I, when I, I, I told them, you know, LGBT is involved, I told the story, yeah, right? And I said, this is, and I need help. I need my daughter back. And I, you know, I was referred to you so you can help me bring my daughter back because this is unfair. I don't want her to, you know, go to uh, this group home um, where she was placed. And they, oh, oh, they hear, you know, the, the whole story was okay. But when they hear LGBTs like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, but you can call this uh, other attorney. They might be able to help. you So I ended up getting one of the, that they, you know, the state. public
1: right. Yeah, public yeah. servant. Um, the public, yes. And you got, you're, you're reaching out now to the school to try to, are you, are you, are you engaging in a lawsuit right now? Yes to to do what
2: I just you know my my focus is in uh the school the public school change you know this um uh, a deal that they have that oh this kid is depressed because they might feel like uh is not happy with this body and maybe no, they have to communicate with us what's going on with your child.
1: So you're fighting for, you're fighting for parental rights is really what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But you were ousted and then you were told you weren't allowed to mention God.
2: Oh yes. When she was moved to, uh, this group home, you know, it was court. It was LGBT. Everybody involved, and uh, my conversation with her was not. It it didn't have to be about coming back home. Uh, I was not allowed to talk to my daughter about God.
1: Who that said you were? Who who told you what you were and were not the, allowed to speak about? The social about? Work. The
2: social worker.
1: The social worker. Yes. Uh, and, and, and
2: I see lawsuit
1: is yes, your lawsuit and- against the social worker also for for effectively limiting your right to free speech.
2: Yes. And for not, uh, you know, because my work didn't matter when I told them, you know, since they won that when she was moved, she moved to this uh, home group home. Uh, we had a meeting and I told them, you know, nothing that you're trying to do is going to work. She can, You can allow her to change everything in her body outside, but the problem is here and that's where the, I'm seeking for help. You know, I want my daughter to get the right treatment because none of what you're talking, it makes sense because I know that it's not gonna work, and when if uh, you fight in here and trying my daughter to be, to start getting the these hormones, uh, and it's not gonna work.
1: Here's what's here's what's stunning to me. We have we have a couple more minutes. What's stunning to me, and what really ought to set parents completely on edge, is the idea that y- your child was taken from you, which means that you were seen as being abusive. Because you didn't affirm the lie. That's so right. you're seen as being abusive, but they're not, when they're applying medical choices to a child for whom they really have no right to impose yeah. their will on. This is it is it is such an egregious uh, uh trampling of not just parental rights, but but human rights. They limited your freedom of speech and they yeah. basically accused you of being an abuser. And I hope that you're suing them and I hope you're suing for a lot of money. And the reason I say that is because if it doesn't come with punitive, p- punitive damages, this will continue happening in our schools and in our culture and we have to stop it. We have to stop it because it's costing young people their lives. One last question. Um, I I hesitate to ask this, but I have to know. Do you know what happened to the other transgender child? It's been two and a half years.
2: She's still around. As a matter of fact, I I was hurt because they showed up at the funeral. I didn't want to see any of them around because... uh, They had a lot to do with all these two.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of blame to go around. The
2: sadly thing is, it's so sad to know that you know they pushed my daughter to get a hormone shot, which make you know her depression even getting worse. So uh, and she didn't. She didn't. The other girl. So in
1: one more Oh and she didn't me. the other girl didn't get it. No, no, she did. That that's it. that's also it, yes. it's diab it is diabolical. Abigail Martinez, I really appreciate you coming on. Please keep us posted on your progress. I would love to cover uh the the progress of your lawsuit and um find out where it goes from from there. So thanks for coming on. This is the Sam Sorbo
0: show. Great news from Rocket Mortgage. You could unlock more cash than you realize from your home's equity with a cash-out refinance today. In fact, in the last year, average home values have gone up nearly 20%. That means you could unlock thousands of dollars. And with Rocket Mortgage, you could unlock all that cash in less than three weeks. But you've got to act right now before rates go up because nobody knows how long these low rates will last. Put your hard-earned money to work. Make your life better. Build a home office. Remodel your kitchen. Or simply save that cash for a rainy day. Today's rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.25%, 3.48% APR, so you can lock in a great low monthly payment. When you're looking to unlock the cash in your home, Rocket can. Call eight three three eight 8 rocket today or go to rocketmortgage.com to get started. That's eight three three eight rocket or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rocket. Rates current as of 12, 12 Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. No less consumer access.org number 3030. Call 800-490-1233 for disclosures and cost information.